Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You are listening to Awesomers.com podcast episode number 70. And that is a pretty uh, fun little benchmark there, episode number 70. And all you have to do is go to Awesomers.com slash 70 to find out all the links and interesting details we may discuss in today's episode. Now, today I'm joined by my very special guest and very fun entrepreneur, Stefano Starkel. And Stefano is a brilliant entrepreneur and has been, you know, kind of living a, a unique and free lifestyle for low these many years. He definitely never fit in the traditional box. And as you'll hear in, in part of his origin story today, you know, he was able to just kind of figure out things as they as they came to him. And, you know, as he got more and more experience, he got better and better at it. And today that's culminated in a really exciting new enterprise, relatively new, uh, maybe a year or so into it, where he helps Amazon sellers manage their pay-per-click advertising in a much more scalable, much more systemic way. And I'm proud of what he's done. I've watched his progress uh, for at least two years. And it's really exciting to see somebody who's so inherently smart, has such great business acumen, apply those skills and as he's able to kind of transcend the ordinary and jump into the extraordinary and that's always something that I think awesomers are trying to do even when they don't know they're trying to do it it's just part of your DNA it's part of what pushes you and when you feel yourself being pushed or pulled in some cases uh, towards a particular goal or objective you know be like Stefano don't be afraid take that leap um, as I like to say jump off the cliff and then figure out how to to build a, a plane on the way down, you know, before he hit the ground, ideally. And that's something that Stefano has demonstrated over and over again as he rebelled his way through his, his young adult life. So I think you're gonna love this origin episode. Not only will you love the episode, I think you're also gonna learn something about Amazon-sponsored products, how to manage campaigns instead of using the manual methodology, you're able to switch into more systemic and software-driven and Stefano's new product, his new service, is a SaaS model, S-A-A-S, Software as a Service. I'm sure most of the people who have uh, been in the e-commerce space are familiar with this model. And he's able to kind of take this wonderful technology and help entrepreneurs around the world get smarter, better, and faster. And really, that's the, that's the awesome dream anyway. And I, I certainly hope that, I know he understood my jokes and uh, when I uh, joke about, uh, you know, what an uh, Italian stereotype to be driving around pizzas on a Vespa 
uh, and living with mama, right? That's it's just fun stuff. And you know, he's just somebody that I really appreciate and really admire and respect. And uh, and I, I like to have fun with him. He's a great guy. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Steve Simonson, and we're here again on the Awesomers.com podcast. And today I'm joined by my good friend and brilliant entrepreneur Stefano Starkle. Stefano, how are you, buddy? Hi, you doing, Steve. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Certainly a pleasure to have you. Uh, Stefano is definitely a brilliant entrepreneur and has been doing all kinds of fun things. We're, we're going to get into that. But Stefano, I've already kind of read in your bio and t- shared a little bit about your background from the high level uh, with the Osmer community out there. But tell us in your own words, where do you live today and what takes up your time day to day? All right. Um, right now, uh, we live, me and my family, of uh, my wife and a kid of three and a half years old now. Perhaps a little bit more. I need a count. Uh, but yeah, we are right now in Mauritius. We've been traveling a lot since Martin was born. Uh, we used to be in Vietnam, but we didn't think that Vietnam was a good place where to bring up our kid. So last three years and a half was like a soul searching, my soul searching, my wife one. And we ended up being in Mauritius more than once. And perhaps this is where we're going to stay for the next year, two years, and three years. Now, for and those- as far as time, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was going to just say for those who don't know where Mauritius are, it's it's like off the tip of Madagascar, right? It's these little That's islands, right. yes. shells and the Mauritius. Uh, it's a yes. crazy little but beautiful place, right? Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's as far as way as far away as everything as somebody can imagine. Uh, not as far as Bora Bora, uh, but for you know you, we've been together to Saint Lucia and. If you want to picture Mauritius, picture St. Lucia. You know, same uh, culture, subculture, Creole, same language, same uh, uh, warm people, same kind of scenery, same kind of uh, vegetation, and uh, probably not fauna, but flora, definitely. I, I like the t- very good delineation between, yeah, no fauna, but yes, the flora. That's, uh, <laughs> the that's flora. good stuff. All right, I'll, I'll go grab that uh, dictionary and figure out what fauna actually is. Um, so, you know, you've been uh, an avid traveler, but share with the audience, if you will, wh- what's one of the motivations why you travel and why you go try to find some of these uh, cool islands, whether it's Vietnam or Mauritius or wherever? I like wind. I, I very much like to kite surf. Uh, I used to uh, pretty much my, I would say my previous life, so before a kid, Everything was centered out me getting my, my my dose of kiting, and the last three and a half years has been a very strong struggle because I still need my fix, but there's also a kid need a fix now. So it's like, all right, I gotta work, and then by the time I've left, it's juggling. So it's and the the older it grows, the more I get a juggle. But yeah, so uh, search of wind looking for a place that it doesn't get too cold uh, in the winter, doesn't get too warm in the summer, uh, as much wind as possible, a nice pristine beach, uh, good food, and, you know, very, very slow life. That's what we figure out we like. That's amazing. Well, and I think a lot of awesomers out there can identify with this, this concept anyway, even if they are not able to actually live it just yet, this concept of being able to follow one of your passions, which is kite surfing, and find the place that makes the most sense and fits in with now your family lifestyle. Uh, and I, I've seen some of your videos. I don't know if you have the GoPro on or how you're taking those videos, but some of those are pretty incredible <laughs> videos, huh? There is. You know what? I, I love to, uh, it's like pictures. You take a picture, you look at the picture, and it's awesome. And then you never look at it again sometimes. 
And with this era, it is digital media is everywhere. We, we want to create content for ourselves, but it's stuff that you're never gonna look at it. So I started doing it. And then by the time you do it, you gotta mount it and then you gotta like it. And then it's so much time investment for something that you never go back and look, watch. But to answer your question is, I bought a mount, mouth mount. So it's like a, like a snorkel. So rather than having a pipe out, it is a, a camera mount. So you're uh, with this awkward thing in your mouth. Uh, 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 that sounds like a nightmare. It does, yeah. I use it three times. And then I say, you know what? It, it, like you say, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Uh, and I just say that. That's one of my axioms. Uh, well, and I, I can't imagine whose idea is like, well, we can't, you know, if they don't want to wear a helmet or they, you know, we can't put it on the board or the kite or the whatever. So let's just put it in their mouth. Uh, I, I never would have imagined that being a mount uh, location. Well, better mouth than other places. I suppose. You're uh, right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, taking a little creativity to figure that one out. Um, Stefano, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to dive into your origin story. We're going to share with the audience some of the, the interesting and uh, I think very uh, inspiring parts of your life. And we're going to do that right after this break. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals. This is Parsimony ERP. And we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y dot com. Parsimony dot com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, here we are. We're back, everybody. It's uh, Steve Simonson again on the Awesomers.com podcast, joined by Stefano Starkle, uh, an entrepreneur extraordinaire and somebody who's traveled around the world kite surfing, as we just talked about before the break. Uh, Stefano to, to get a better understanding of kind of your background and, and uh, a little bit of your history, let's start out from the very beginning uh, and tell us where you were born. Uh, I was born in Italy, uh, it was 1981, and a town called Trieste, which was, uh, I still love it. Uh, it's a wonderful town. It was right on the border with what used to be Yugoslavia and now is Slovenia. Um, and I, I, yeah, I grew I very like the place where I grew up. And now, when, when you were a kid and, and you were, you know, just uh, coming into this world, what kind of work did your parents do? Uh, my father always loved to travel. My father always loved to uh, ski in wintertime, snowboard for me. He, he loved to camp and he loved to hike. And although when I was a kid, I pretty much hated every single one of his activities, he hammered them into me so now it's something that I love doing which is very weird thinking back um, and he was a naval I think you say a naval engineer not a mechanic okay. but he was a naval architect and his specialty was sailing boats so he he was per se a, a, I would say an entrepreneur probably more like a self-employed because at the end he used to he has his own studio was working for himself designed for his own clients uh, and I say self-employed because rather than, you know, entrepreneur, the dream is you work one hour and you travel the other 23, which is 
just a dream. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. that is a dream. I've heard <laughs> of that dream. I have not lived yeah. that yeah. 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 No, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he just his own studio, his own business, and his, his own clients, his own dreams, his own designs, and he did very well uh, since I can remember, yes. Nice. So uh, that is kind of entrepreneurial, having your own um, design, engineering, or architecture studio. It sounds like a marine uh, base, which is very interesting. Did, what did your mom do? Did she work during that time, stay home with the kids? How did that work? Uh, my mom, uh, um, they, they separated when I was 16. And until 16, she was a housewife. And after 16, you know, separation and, you know, everybody's got to do his own work. So she, she starts to back working but she not just a housewife yes yeah well it's uh, obviously an important job and something that uh, takes a lot of energy but it is not uncommon once a, a separation or divorce happens where people have to go find their own uh, their own career path and, and so forth uh, how about any siblings did you have any brothers or sisters um i had a sister but she passed away some years ago i uh, about uh, for about three and a half years ago, she passed away, and uh, she was younger than me. Wow! Yeah, that's probably yeah. hard for the yeah. whole family. It was was very very hard. Yes. Yeah. Was, uh, a period. It's. Uh, I wasn't there because I left Italy in two thousand and five, and if I go back once a year, it's a lot. So I wasn't there throughout the period. In the period that she was sick, I traveled in Italy every three months i was just traveling in and out just to stay as close as possibly could uh, but yeah unfortunately she passed away i wasn't i was just flying back just to say you know the last hi and i, I couldn't do it yeah that's tough uh yeah. definitely tough stuff a lot of uh, folks out there have experienced similar things but uh thank you for sharing that with us uh how about uh did you go to university did you go to college at all no um, that's also some, you know, struggle with my father. My father, of course, he, he somehow knew already that he will, he will be a naval engineer for when he was born, at least that's what he told me. Uh, and so for, for him, my path was very clear from the beginning. So you go to a very good school, which in Italy, I mean, you know, you have, uh, you got elementary, which is three, uh, five years. Then you got the first grade, which is three years. Then you got a middle one, which is, uh, we call it the same, which is five years. And after you go to university. So he, as, as long as he could choose for me, he put me in the best schools. Uh, by the time I started rebelling, I just, and his dream was for me to just follow his path and, and work side by side on his desk. He wanted you to time, be a naval engineer as well. Yeah, yeah he, wa he wanted me to, since I was a kid, he was always bringing me around to the, um, to the factories to see how things happen and to his uh, um, studio to meet his, uh, his colleagues and show me stuff in the computer. He had like AutoCAD when he was science fiction to have AutoCAD. Right. Uh, and um, so that was his dream, but it's clearly not my dream. Uh, and I was pretty rebellious when I was a kid. I can't Very imagine nice. you being rebellious. Oh my, that's yeah, a no. surprise. <laughs> yeah, sarcasm, party of one. Uh, so tell us, so since you didn't go to university and you were in the rebellious phase, did you go into a job straight away after you graduated from uh, regular high school or whatever you call Yeah, I, I sucked at school. Uh, I mean, you know, vote-wise, grade-wise, I sucked. Uh, Relationship-wise, I was very good. I mean, teachers loved me. I had... 
I still now, no, my attitude is lost. A lot of bad things happen to my attitude now, but that attitude, joyful attitude is lost. But a teacher used to like me and, you know, I used to pass by year by year just for that little tiny thread, the famous little tiny thread. And um, um, yeah, and because of me being not that good at school or definitely below expectation, I didn't really have never pocket money. So what happened is that by the time I was 14 years old, that at the time in Italy, I could legally drive a motorbike without a helmet. Oh, which is... Sounds dangerous. I mean, it, it does to me now, not at the time. Um, I basically started, I asked, I borrowed money from a friend. I bought uh, a Vespa, a 50, the one with the gear that probably in USA you see only in the, in the Italian movies. And I started taking delivery pizzas at 14 years old. And, and I kept doing it until I left Italy. No, a little bit earlier. Yeah, from when I was 15 until 2000 and uh, about 2001, I was taking pizza around and it was uh, my main employment for a very long time. I have to say, uh, it sounds a little stereotypical to have an Italian young man on a Vespa delivering pizza. I mean, you could hardly be more stereotypical than that, Stefano. Well, it was in Italy, right? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, unless you're, uh, you and Luigi are uh, bouncing over uh, different obstacles, I don't know how you could put more Italian into that story. <laughs> so well done. Uh, Thank you. So, so tell us about this. From that time you were delivering pizzas to now, Things have changed, right? There's been a lot of things that have yeah. happened. And I wonder uh, if, if there's a defining moment that one or more that you can remember that put you on the path from then to now. Um, yes, there is one specific moment that put me on the path I am now, but it's a path that I didn't really follow through since then. And that was in 2001 when I realized I could sell stuff on eBay. So uh, I... Um, there are things I probably shouldn't make that. Let's say we had a friend that had some uh, questionable fashion items. Some stuff that fell on the back of the truck. We're still rolling with the Italian. Yeah, let, let, carry on. Like that. <laughs> and, and I put it on eBay. And I said, oh, eBay in 2001 in Italy. I mean, I don't remember anything before eBay. So I was pretty young yet. There. And, and just... Yeah, let's oh look, let's try to put it online. Let's see how it works out, and it did work out very well. So basically, I moved away from this uh, questionable person, and I just did, um, imported from China. So I used the English, but it was one of the few things that I somehow kind of enjoyed at school and say, you know what? Let's try to write something to these Chinese people. On it was not Alibaba. I can't remember what was there, but we were looking for AAA plus on Google and, and finding stuff. So basically, we were importing me and my sister. My sister was five years old, younger than me. So I, we were doing it together. Importing stuff from China, get it to our place, and putting on eBay. Hmm. And that was, I wouldn't say it was entrepreneurial, because we didn't have any plan. It was just pocket money. But that definitely was the aha moment that I kept having over and over. And it kept building up until, aha, uh -huh. and that was all right, drop everything else. 
I, it sounds quite entrepreneurial to me, even though, you know, sometimes these ideas of making our own way don't start out as I'm going to make a business and I'm going to make this business worth money and I'm going to put in systems. Uh, most of us, when we have that entrepreneurial seizure, uh, as it's called in the e-myth, we don't start out with a plan. We're just like, we need to make some money. We need to, you know, buy some food for dinner, that sort of thing. And it sounds like it started out in that way, but it, over time built and you were private labeling stuff way back in the old days. Yeah, I've started uh, um, in 2000 and, uh, well, yeah, 2001, let's say. It was not really private label on eBay. Uh, it was just label. <laughs> okay, now label. Was, it, was it a major brand that you were buying from China yeah, or was, was it a yeah, major, major brand? Major brand. Oh, okay, yeah. China's very good China. at selling those major yeah. brands, yeah. <laughs> they, they stopped. I stopped when uh, actually eBay, at the time, they didn't have any rule from... Uh, uh, I just say, uh, I mean, fake stuff. Yeah, but counterfeit. Fake, right? yeah. Like, oh, thank you, counterfeit. And I stopped. Uh, I left Italy in two thousand and five, and and my sister kept selling for I think one year longer. And after that, eBay started to, uh, you know, want really restrict control of what was sold from these major brands, and that uh, that stopped. Yeah, but it's a after, very. It, it was a wild west time back on eBay. At that time, oh, because, you know, the, the counterfeit stuff, the fashion stuff. Uh, I knew a, a fella and he worked uh, for me uh, back in the day and was a really brilliant guy. Um, and he started basically importing some jeans uh, that were a major brand also. And, uh, you know, he, he as far as he was concerned, they were all legitimate. And, you know, he had the invoices and all the documentation. But uh, let's just say that uh, at some point the FBI raided his place. And he had like one hundred fifty or one hundred sixty thousand dollars worth of jeans that were not necessarily the brand that they were described as, or at least intended to be. And uh, so a lot of really bad surprises. But that was in the that two thousand four two thousand five timeframe. Yeah. They was really putting the clamp down on counterfeits. We were in Italy. They were. I mean, Italian fashion. You know, something like uh, me, Italian guy delivered in pizza, right? And it's what you sell on Italy, you sell fashion. That's <laughs> pretty much. Um, and it was interesting because you were actually, we were actually able, or we were selling as counterfeit. I mean, and there was no, no wording. It was like a bland counterfeit, uh, buy it like at one-tenth of the price. Really? And so it was, in your title no, no, description? I, I, I kid you not. Yeah, I kid you not. Wow. I so. What a what a, a contrast to today's you know uh, rigid enforcement and and of course the you know people understand now that you know that's not as easy but you guys literally were advertising that in your time oh, yeah. counterfeit by yeah. one tenth the price I love it well yeah. I think yeah. that's at least above board um, so that's a very clear defining moment that kind of puts you on that path towards um, you know learning how to import and things like that. Uh, was there a big lesson that you learned along that journey that uh, still sticks with you today? Um, yeah, one of those lessons that I realized only later on, but the fact, and it was not only from me, but anyway, the fact that actually, if there is a will, there is a way. That is a good and, point. Yeah, you know, and at the time, the will was to, to you know, I was carrying pizza around, spending my time with my friends, and... I didn't really want to work. So if there is a will to make some cash, there is a way. It just, you know, keep open mind, try to think outside the box. And, and, and 
I would say be open to opportunities, but it's not that much to be open. It's as much as like keep looking and never stop looking for opportunities because eventually you're going to see something. And that kept me, and that's the mindset that since then I always had when traveling. It's, it is interesting. So, you know, you, you talked about this, uh, this concept of being open to ideas. And I think if you're open to ideas and you're looking for ideas or opportunities, you're more likely to see them, right? And so th this goes along yeah. with this, this concept of the, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, right? So if, if you have a blue Vespa, you're more likely to see a bunch of other blue Vespas, right? Because your, your mind is focused on that as a data point. So the same thing goes in for an opportunity. If you're looking for a way to stop delivering pizza and start earning money or, you know, kind of You'll shift see. gears, yeah. you're more likely to find those things, uh, again, linked to that, that uh, Bader-Meinhof uh, phenomenon. So uh, when, how did you go from the, the selling the stuff on eBay uh, that was uh, questionable, let's say, to uh, your next bit. Okay, so I had a, a, the next bit will be my, my traveling phase, very, very long traveling phase. I had a girlfriend in Italy, uh, the traditional way is like uh, uh, grow up, no need to get out of your home because your mom wants you in until you're 90, if it's, <laughs> it's up to her. And find a girlfriend, wife, which your mother needs to like, and only at bedtime, perhaps you're allowed to, to get out and you know, she has a peace of mind. So I was at this stage, I was with this uh, now woman, at the time was a girl, which my mom kind of liked and he was, oh, and she started, you know, like, when you get married. Uh, and, <laughs> she was uh, and, dropping some subtle hints on when you would yes, get married, huh? Exactly, yes. Yeah, her and then my grandma was, oh, I wanna, I wanna. Grandkids. Martin, I wanna, Grandkid, yes. Yeah. Like, oh God, really? And at that point, I say, I had some cash in the bank, which was not, not really happened ever due to um, eBay. At the time, I was also moved away from just simply carrying pizza, but was being a waiter. So I was kind of waiting Great. tables. Yeah. Well, yeah, big one. Yeah, didn't need to didn't need to ride in the snow, and. So yeah, I had some money and uh, like people pushing me to, to marry. And I say, you know what? I'm out. So I bought a one-way ticket to Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are a rebel. I tell you, Stefano, you are uh, definitely a rebel. Uh, and I gave them uh, um, two weeks. So I bought the ticket and I say, guys, in two weeks, I'm out. And it's one way. So I could get back in like in 10 days, but I got some cash. So. I'll, I'll keep going as long as I possibly can with the money that I saved so far. So I, I gave all the eBay business to my sister and just do what you want. And I was out, basically. Amazing. That, that takes a lot of courage, actually, to just kind of, uh, you know, hey, I see what's happening here. And it's not that I don't love you, but I'm, I just got to go. And just what made you choose Jamaica out of curiosity? I used to smoke a lot of pot. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, Jamaica like uh, a good place for that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. You know, like it was a bucket list and my one was only one. <laughs> uh, that's a good uh yeah, that's uh, as we're making our bucket list everyone. Uh, every, there's all kinds of different inputs that go in there and we see yeah. that Jamaica was in there for a very clear yeah. reason. <laughs> I got a very small bucket yeah. or a very bucket but just a very big tick. So yeah, yeah that was my bucket. Yeah, and, and then how long did you stay in Jamaica? 
the plan was to to never leave, uh, but I felt very, very, very uncomfortable due to the fact that my English was pathetic, due to the fact that um, I it's very hard to move from a place of comfort, which is your hometown, to a place where you're white. Yeah, you're an odd man out for sure, yeah. Yeah, you don't really understand what we say. Whatever you say is not really understood. And you're like, okay. So, you know, all my bucket list shattered. So after two weeks of... Um, I did have bad experience, but was all through was all two weeks was kind of uncomfortable and you know like a, a fish out of the water, you know just gasping from air and hoping to find air here and there. But at the end, saying you know what, let's I don't like that. Um, so I figured that Mexico would have been better because they don't speak English and there was some you know Spanish and Italian that kind of alike. Yeah. So I went to Mexico and I stayed there for three months and I loved it. Very, very, very good. I love the food. I love the people. The language was much easier. I did take some classes out of being bored. Um, and then after Mexico was either continued to go all the way down to South America, but I was running out of money. Mm-hmm. And the other option was I did have, I still have relatives in Melbourne. And the other option was take all the money that was left and buy another one way. So I bought a one way ticket from Mexico City to Melbourne and then started um, the other uh, big, uh, let's say, breakthrough that I had or light bulb. Um, that I realized that aside from internet, again, if there is a will, there is a way. So, and I actually started working in Australia. Hmm. My language was bad. I learned to understand them. I learned to, to speak in a way that people understand me. And I started waiting tables, which was the only thing I knew how to do. And that's funny because it, now, back, I would say, you know what? I could have kept the eBay business. And <laughs> just, you know, but with a hindsight. But at the time, I, I didn't think of eBay like, what I was doing, like something that could bring any big fruits. Yeah, that's fascinating so, uh, how, you know, you kind of go through those different uh, phases and obviously you're, you're traveling around and, and probably enjoying some of the journey. I suspect there's possibly some kite surfing along the way or some kind of uh, uh, beach activity. Is that fair to say? It was a lot of beach activity. It was a lot of very, very tough work, very tough work because um, for a specific program, which uh, they were allowing you to stay one year and you had the chance to renew to do a second year. But in order to do the second year, you will have to do farm work, which means picking fruits and which is hardcore. So I've done some of it. Uh, I've done enough to be able to get my second year in Australia, uh, but I never actually took a second year in Australia. And yeah, by the time of it, by the end of my Australian journey, um, there were bucket list built and were like all the freaking box ticked off. And the last thing in the bucket list was learning to kite surf. And at the time, it was 2006, kite surfing was uh, not at its infancy, but it was still a very, very rare sight at the beach. Hmm. And it was yeah. fascinating. It, now it's far more uh, common to see that and understand you know, what people are doing. But when you first saw those 
those devices yeah. out there, it's like, what is that? And what are they doing? And how does that work? It's like, you know, is the guy going to fly away? We, you don't know what's going to happen. I felt like there was like Merlin with a magic wand somewhere and this thing like yeah, flying. Merlin just, and, yeah, firing oh, the wand around. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you, you can really fly but, up out of, this, uh, out of the water and into the sky for some time. And that's exactly how I felt at first. I got to do that. And I'm not lazy by nature, so a lot of people are going to Australia and learn how to surf, but I, I didn't want to put the effort. But that one, like, whoa, they got the wind pulling them around, they do all the crap. I want it. <laughs> I like that. You're always optimizing uh, the amount of activity you have to do. <laughs> so so tell us, um, so from the point then you, you kind of completed the Australian journey, uh, at, at what point did you start getting into your own e-commerce business? Um, so fast forward, uh, I would say it was about um, 2010. 2010, I was in Vietnam. I had been in Vietnam pretty much since I left Australia. So I would say already uh, about three years in Vietnam in 2010. Um, I went through stages but mainly I was teaching kitesurfing. And in 2009, I had a chance to buy into a kitesurfing school. And for some reason, I had enough money to do that, which uh, actually the reason is that I asked my money to my mom, actually. Yeah. Ah, yeah and I yeah. said, I'll pay you back, which uh, I did pay her back because money. every time I did, yeah, no, I always paid back, otherwise I wouldn't get it. But yeah, that's why. So I bought into the school. So I had this kitesurfing school for one year and a half. And and then that's when the eBay thing came back to me. I got, you know what? We got a school here. My partner is taking care of a personal relation and organization and he has a contact. And he was the guy that was in the town for the longest. So he knew how to do it his best. And I decided to learn how to get a website. Gotcha. So I got like uh, downloaded this uh, Joomla for dummies. <laughs> yeah, can... Joomla. That's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, and I started playing around with Joomla. And the kite school eventually I left the kite school, but what I learned is that there was a, a, a lack of offering in Vietnam, which is our customer, like customers in the kite school customer. They were arriving to Vietnam in uh, Saigon, which was about four hours away from where our business was located. And they there was a lot of misconception and mis and, and misinformation about Vietnam, but still is. So we were basically scared to get out of the airport. Yeah, yeah. And and they always asked us to arrange for them taxi. A so, four hour taxi. Yeah, four hour taxi. You know, I want a course to find me hotel and stuff, but find the hotel was a pain because you gotta deal with uh, but I say, you know what, can you get me also a taxi to pick him up, bring it to, to your school or to your hotel and say, okay. And the margin of most taxis was great. So in 2011, I created Saigon2moine.com, which was Saigon, two, like a number, Moine, which is the place where we live, dot com. And it was a great, I didn't even know CEO at the time. It just happened that it was a good SEO choice. Nice. Um, and I think, yes, so it was a taxi business. The taxi business was the first very, very, at the time, big hit for uh, for me. And because at the time, it was my wife was my girlfriend, so we were working together. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Very well. yeah. So many little different turns and twists in there, you know, 
from the, the pizza delivery to the waiting to the taxi business. Uh, as I recall, was there a restaurant business involved there at some point too? Yeah, it was a restaurant, a high school restaurant, not in this order, high school restaurant, bar. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot yeah. of uh, stuff. And obviously you liked Vietnam, uh, you know, because you were there for so long. Yeah, correct. I loved it for 10 more, a little bit more than 10 years. Yeah, that's no, amazing. almost ten, almost ten years. Yeah, and then uh, um, at at some point though, you you put your focus onto Amazon. How did that transition happen? Yeah, that happened because everything I had was going down. The bar never worked. The restaurant never worked. There was a Russian crisis, and the majority of tourism was Russian, and the rubble went down. So we just stopped traveling, and and. I mean, you're in very tiny tourist destination that rely for 70% of the occupancy to Russian and Russian don't come. Yeah. And they just, the government doesn't have time to, to absorb this uh, 70% and to push it to other nations. So for two years, it was just no money. And in that two years, uh, that was 2014. I uh, don't remember how, but I, I've seen the AMS amazing steel machine. It was the fourth edition and was four grand at the time, which was a lot for somebody who lives in Vietnam. Uh, but, you know, every single thing that I learned on selling on eBay, that I learned on, um, with a taxi business regarding SEO positioning, how important are titles, um, everything that I learned business-wise, running the bar, running the restaurant, came all together in the four-day launch, but yet for videos, you find a product, oh, eBay, you optimize your listing, oh, that's a taxi business, you run a business, oh, I know how to run a business, and so it was a, that was my, you know, putting everything together. It is fun when, when there's kind of that uh, crossroads of all your past experience that is yeah. able to be utilized and leveraged to bring you forward to that, that next deal. And so did you, at some point, did you go full-time with that Amazon business? Yeah, yeah. From, uh, I was very fortunate. Um, I, would, I, I pick a real good product, but my first product was a, was a very big winner. And I think simply because of the experience that I had before, you know, in these different fields. So my first product was a hit. So I was able within... Uh, uh, Within two months, I mean, I started the course in October, end of December, my product was live. By February, I was taking already out a salary, not a big one, but I was taking out money. And at that time, I knew it, it was time to go full time. So I got out of all my businesses. Yeah, you went all in. You saw the potential. Yeah. And yeah. of course, uh, you know, the rest is history in terms of that uh, experience because you built a a very nice business and it scaled well. Uh, and that's something that, you know, became a foundation for your next adventure. Um, yes. Your next adventure, we're going to talk about that after the break, but this is where you, again, were able to take all that experience, all that, you know, pain of having to deal with an Amazon business and leverage it into the next deal. That's correct. The next yes. deal. And we're going to, we'll talk more about that right after this break. We'll be right back. Empowering. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network 
a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, here we are again. It's Steve Simonson, joined by Stefano Starkel. And we are talking about uh, Stefano's journey and his origin story. And we just led up to the point where, you know, he's, he's, he got into the Amazon business. He got really good at it and, and had probably some good experience that led to good fortune. Uh, what they, they always say, you know, good luck follows those people who work really hard, right? You know, and uh, luck favors the prepared. There's a, there's a million of these types of quotes. And so it was good fortune that you were able to have your first product take off and, and then the business subsequently took off. Um, but at some point you saw this problem or this opportunity with Amazon uh, pay-per-click advertising. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, um, I had some experience with AdWords, so I really dig into AdWords with uh, with the taxi business because that was our only way to to get leads through AdWords, and so I I had some experience there. Uh, on Amazon, was everything in a way easier because you didn't at the time, still now, you don't really have to create headlines. The picture is there. I mean, the the ad is built for you as long as you have a good listing. That's your ad. So you will just do pick keywords and see how it goes and, and negate. So uh, the logic of sponsored product was clear from the beginning for me. The hard part of it was the scalability. Uh, we were growing so fast and we were adding keywords and product that the way that I was running uh, my PPC strategies was very, very, very hard to both keep track manually with uh, the granularity that I wanted, as well as was very hard to, to do it without errors because there were some processes that needed to be run like some, some of them twice a day. As long as you have one product, you can do it. But when you start to have like 15, 30 SKUs, running things twice a day and every SKU is a thousand of keywords, they start to be very hard and very difficult to to handle you, your board team members, which understand, but they don't put the attention is needed. So a lot of problem, as well as talking with other people and, and let me realize there was a mastermind in China and it was another aha moment. It was this guy was, he did a presentation on how to design. Uh, it was not exactly how to design, but the way I, in my mind was, oh, this guy's presenting how to build a, a software to help in your business. In Amazon, like, oh, ha ha. So basically, I say, you know what? Maybe rather than putting my attention in, in doing myself and then training stuff and then putting attention and making sure that stuff doesn't make mistake, maybe I should simply build a software to do what I need. And that's when uh, the idea of uh, Zone 2 started. So a it software is... Yeah. I just want to jump in. It's a it's a common thing, um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and and entrepreneurs out there can identify with this thing. When you have this problem that exists for you, solving it for you is kind of like job one. It's like you know this is a giant pain in the keister, keeping track of so many products, so many keywords. Right? It's just it's a problem that needs solved, and a systemic solution is always one of my favorite things to do. So you know, my question is. When you first had this aha moment about building the software, did you see it as a solution to the problem on a pure inside basis, or did you see it as something that you could market later and, and yes. other people could use it? 
pure insight basis. We discuss with, uh, now it's my co-founder and partner, Tariq, which is at the time, at the guy at the time I hired to, to code. And he asked from the beginning, is this something that you're going to use only for yourself or we're going we're gonna to sell it? Because, you know, I, I need to know in order to structure the right way. And I say, I don't want to deal with selling, you know. Don't worry, it's going to be just me. That uh, was yes. the beginning. That was the first year and a half. It is hilarious because so often that is the exact path, right? We're trying to solve that problem. Um, and we don't necessarily think of the next thing because that's a whole nother, you know, set of problems we haven't contemplated. Although today, and, and everybody can find this in the show notes. Uh, if you go to today's episode, you'll be able to find in the show notes, the links over to Zon Tools and so forth and some of the, the other things we may talk about. But the reality is over time, you and uh, Tariq decided, oh, maybe this does have merit for others. How did that sequence happen? Um, I kept, like, you know, I kept coming to your mastermind, so I kept meeting very, very smart people, and I kept, uh, uh, and you were very good in, like, pushing participants to share, because I normally, I uh, like a close share. Um, <laughs> and my first ever presentation was at your mastermind. Yeah, so just for those people who are at home, uh, at the Catalyst 88 Mastermind, everybody has to share. Everybody has to give. That's one of the founding principles. And not everybody's comfortable with that. Not everybody's experienced no. with it. But it doesn't matter because we're all in the same boat. We're all there to share. And Stefano definitely shared. <laughs> yeah. Even if he didn't um, want to. Yeah. No, I didn't. But it's, again, it's like this, it's a muscle that I'm training. Still now is a very weak muscle. But it's going to get better. It's getting better already. So anyway, sharing, you know, what are you going to share? You're going to share what you have passion. That's the easiest thing to share. You're not going to share something that you're confident in. So my, my special power of what I felt and what I still feel is a special power is like what I do with the PPC, regardless of the automation. So I started sharing my strategy, what I do, why I do it. And, and the feedback that was getting from the participants of, of your mastermind and other groups which I was sharing my ideas into was very, very good. And some people say, oh, you should have a software that does that. And I say, yeah, well, I have it. You know, that was kind of a conversation. Oh, you have a software that does that? Really? So over time, I figured, you know what? I mean, yeah, I didn't want to sell it. I didn't want anybody to have it. But I see there is a, a, um, a genuine need from other people in my situation. And, and that's when I called Tarek and said, Tarek, you remember when you asked me <laughs> who's going to use it? And, and I said, yes, I remember, only you, right? Yeah, I was wrong. I said, no, what? Yeah, it was like... <laughs> that's uh, in, the, in the computer programming yeah. business, we call that a rewrite. Uh, it, it's a big pain yeah. in the keister. Is that what happened? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I swear, exactly. Uh, anybody, when we're developing software, anybody who breathes the word rewrite to me is, is liable for trouble because I will chase them and I will beat them senseless. And they have to yeah. say it differently. They have to say, oh, we've got a new uh, vector or, you know, we've got a, a cool idea to enhance the software. But if they breathe the word rewrite, I'm going to blow my lid. It is, uh, it's insane. But you guys obviously had to cross that bridge. Ah, oh, well, there was no option. I mean, I'm somebody who knows nothing about coding. I mean, you now calling rewrite. I know it's called rewrite, but at the time it was like, uh, I mean, I asked something, it just is going to happen. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't think of the implication, how easy would it have been if I just gave the right answer, like 
one year earlier, one year and a half earlier. Um, but it's a good thing with, I mean, yeah, you know, shit happens. Yeah, and, and I guess, that's how we learn, honestly. Yeah. Uh, the, and uh, in so many ways, these things, you know, if you had tried to go in from the very beginning and say, I'm going to build this thing as a software, as a service and do all these things, it may not have worked because you'd be too distracted uh, from solving the main problem, you know, getting the core software right, because you'd be so worried about customers or, you know, how's it all going to work? And so, I, you know, these things happen for a reason. I think it's a good thing. Um, I do want to share or wonder if you remember any of these. So occasionally, um, uh, not I would say even more than occasionally, but we often would have meetings at the Catalyst 88 Mastermind, um, off the record meetings, fireside chats with with really smart people from Amazon. And I, every time somebody from Amazon sponsored products would show up, man, Stefano would get out his uh, like surgeon cap and just start cutting and dicing. And every question, it was hilarious because they were all very good questions. They were very fair, but man, oh man, they showed insights. Do you remember any of those sessions, Stefano? Every single one, every single one I remember. And and they they really, really, really helped shaping uh, zone tool the way it is now and building confidence in me in, in the action that we are taking in zone tools because you know a, a lot of there's a lot of information around a lot of information on on facebook mainly a lot of gurus but they've been bigger names than me i've been doing this for perhaps the same years but many years and and the knowledge that what I do what is different than what they do is the right way of doing it simply because I had a chance that you facilitated to actually, you know, bounce things off with actually who knows stuff, which is Amazon and not like with people who think they know stuff. Uh, that was extremely helpful. That's why I was, I still am so excited when I'm thinking about it. It was, it, for me, it was just fun to watch because the, the level of the questions and the level of depth of detail. So, you know, Stefano might ask a, a question it's like, hey, you know, how does this work? And this, you know, and the API is showing this, but in the report, it shows that. And they would maybe start with a, well, you know, that's sometimes data. No, no, that data is updated 12 times a day at this point, right? And this, the half moon and the full moon, the different data set. I mean, Stefano knew all kinds of detail that often was uh, as much or more than some of the guys in the room who were from Amazon working on those products. And I found it to be fascinating and, and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> the, that's Amazon. We, I mean, as a seller, you deal with support. And the same experience with you guys of the audience here as a as sellers on Amazon, we had the same exact treatment and experience on the API support which is yeah. asking something and getting, every time you ask, you get that roulette, da, 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 let's give you answer five now. And now <laughs> the, the roulette and the Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of things that we found uh, was trial and error, you know, trying to push as far as possible the limits, trying to, you know, our goal is this one and that's what we need to achieve. Uh, API support say, no, I don't care. That's what we got to achieve. And we always, it's funny enough, we could always find a way to achieve what actually API was saying, no, it's not possible. And that was done only like finding like the, the limits of, of the code that they offered us. That's probably why I knew, uh, Tarek knows more than me. I, I know the, the bigger picture, he knows like all the little details. 
Well, it, it definitely was very impressive. And that, you know, the level of insight and the level of experience was clear to me. Um, and it is not uncommon for us to be uh, so tuned in to a specific aspect of Amazon's ecosystem, even more so than the Amazon uh, staff members or even the ones that own the product itself. And of course, uh, you know, uh, most of these meetings were, you know, kind of off the record and, and we don't talk about the, the exact details of what we talked about, but you know, they would only say what they could say. Uh, and, and we always agreed not to take it to a place that it shouldn't go in terms of uh, confidentiality or getting them in any hot water. But all of their, their mission was there to just try to help facilitate, you know, better experiences for sellers and better usage of their platform. And, you know, from the time we started doing those meetings, you know, more than a couple of years ago, they were doing around 500 million in sponsored products as a, as a product income stream probably in 2016 and in 2018 they'll do around 2.2 billion dollars in sponsored products so you know i think they're accomplishing their mission they're they're definitely uh facilitating and making it easier for us to spend money with amazon have you seen continuing budgets increasing and roi holding the line or um, is yeah, it starting to break we've seen is um looking at the picture big picture of data that we get uh, overall bids are going up um, and ACOS is going down uh, for many reasons. Now, ACOS uh, going my, down, do you mean... Sorry, sorry, ACOS going uh, up. So ACOS is getting worse yeah, as an up. ROI ACOS is getting, because the cost per click is going up. Yes. Uh, there are many reasons that I could think of. Uh, definitely is getting much more competitive. Um, and the competition is not really on, on the blue oceans. We could... We could, which could be, you know, uh, higher cost items, oversized items, but all all the new sellers are still following what was taught to us in 2014 and even before. Small light, and small light is cheap, and it's very hard to to pay free for bucks a click on something that sell on for 20 bucks and having That's a good acres. Let me dive in on that for a minute. So uh, basically, what Stefano's saying is. You know, if you follow the, the general principles of small and light, and this is often going to be a, a $25 or less item, it's very tough to be able to afford a cost per acquisition that starts with a $4 cost per click, right? Because you didn't acquire the customer for that 4 bucks, You just got a click for that 4 bucks. Then you get the impressions, and then you get your conversion, and that's what leads you to your cost per acquisition. Well, just do the math on 4 bucks. If you're selling for $25 and you have a $12 profit margin, let's say, after Amazon fees and so forth, that means after three clicks, you have no more money left, you know, on a gross profit basis. You know, a $12 cost per acquisition and you make no money, and it's going to cost more than that because that would be, uh, what would be the conversion rate on three clicks? 33%? 33%. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you're good, by the way. I love that math. You're uh, good, yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, having a 33% uh, conversion ratio over the long haul at scale is very tough to do, in my opinion. What, what's your thoughts, uh, Stefano? It, uh, it's very hard. If, on average, we see um, something more, something better. But I would say if you have a PPC conversion of 15%, that's really good. If you I have think a 20% PPC, that's crazy good. I quite agree. I, you know, often I'll see these urban legends on Facebook where somebody's like, oh, you know, my conversion rate's 50%, 60%. Oh, this item's been 70% for three years or whatever. And it's, it, I'm skeptical, number one. 
and even if it is true, even if those numbers are accurate, there's no scale to those numbers. There's nobody who's selling a thousand units a month with the 70% conversion rate, in my opinion, except maybe Apple, you know, where, where the intent is very high. But even then, I would say uh, it's not, never going to be that high. So 15%, you know, conversion is really reasonable, especially from the click side. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when we go to more expensive items of on the 100 bucks of over, I would say that when you have a conversion 10%, that's already excellent. Yeah. It's more so, expensive item for reason no convert is good so i would say in the more expensive items this is starts to transcend what we call considered purchases so when somebody has to think about their purchase right it's not just a spur of the moment oh it's prime it's 20 bucks just click the go button i'll return if i don't want it 100 bucks you start to go well i know i can return it but you know do i want to make this purchase is this really something i want that consideration period will lower typically the conversion rate so you have to make sure there's margin there so uh, Stefano, you know, I, I love what you've been doing with Zon Tools and it's been very successful. I think you guys have done a great job. Is there anything special about your tool that you want to make sure that people out there know specifically? Yes, the, the special part of it, we um, basically the, the way the tool works is just another lay on top of Amazon. So all the data, all the, the bidding still happens on Amazon. Uh, all the serving algorithm is still Amazon serving algorithm. So zone tool is no secret source that act on the algorithm. Uh, but our secret source is the way we show you the data. So it's, uh, it should be common knowledge that you need a different um, three to four different kind of strategy per product. So you might want an auto campaign, you might want a, uh, a broad campaign a phrase campaign, and an exact campaign per product. Now, this is clearly possible to do it manually on Seller Central, but the fact is that you're never going to have the, the top-level picture. I mean, in order to know those four campaigns and put them together and understand how your product is actually performing on PPC, you will have to download a spreadsheet, and the spreadsheet offers only the last two months of data, so you will have to save them every two months. And then, you know, like pivot the data per product to see how it's performing. Um, Zone tool, we uh, invented something that we call PGN, which are product group name, which is uh, something that we cannot patent, but we wish to. Basically, it's with one click of a button, you create, so you give us the SKUs, you give us a keyword, you give us some threshold, you click a button, and we create the golden structure for you. We go ahead and create all the four campaigns for you. And we overlay one more layer on top so that you can track your results at keyword level, at ad group level, at campaign level, which is already what you can do as a center. But we overlay on top PGN level. So whenever you create a PGN from Women's Zone tool, you will be able to look at the PGN of those four campaigns that I mentioned before as one item. Oh, fascinating. I like that. It, it, it rolls up the data, consolidates the information across Correct. these different campaigns so that you can Correct. see the true economics, which, by Correct. the way, is, you know, this is this is one of the things that is lacking. So kudos to you guys for our building is too Thank often you. we get confused about what our true profitability is on an item. So it doesn't matter if you're selling on Amazon or your own website. If you're driving a bunch of different traffic into there and you don't know your true cost, from that's from the import and buy side of the equation. 
and then you don't know your cost of advertising for that individual item, you don't really know how well that item's performing. And you know, if it's mixed into that marketing budget and it's mixed into the customs and freight budget and it's not broken down by product, you really have no idea what your business is doing. And that is very troubling to me. So I, I'm uh, intrigued by this. How have your customers found this feature to be uh, additive to their business or do they like it? Um, yeah, it does that because, um, well, in a way, we always tell our users to, you need knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. So the fact that it's a one click of a button doesn't mean that you don't have to understand what we do. But the other side is that actually you can go ahead and with one click of a button, you can have a software creating uh, this golden structure and have it managed for you. Because what we can do within the ecosystem for campaigns, we know which keyword to mine from the auto campaign, where to put it within the ecosystem. We know which keyword to negate from where. And we understand if we should automatically negate it as a, a phrase, an exact. So within the ecosystem that we build you, everything is automated. So even though you might not know anything about BBC, which I don't advise you, I just go and take a course and really study because it is, I mean, I have a passion for it, but it, 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 users should know what happens on the back end. Um, aside from that, you can potentially go there, click on a button, create a structure, PPC structure for your product every time you launch a product. And the only real, real thing you need to know is like you say, your profit margin. So you will just give it a cost threshold, which is how much profit you have. Click on a button, we create everything for you and we will optimize automatically for you based on the profit that you told us. I love it. It's that that it's that process of optimization and targeting based on your profitability or a cost, however you care to think about the metric. Metric, that process is what is missing in so often, right? Because without putting rigid standards in for yourself and your business and your product, you just are kind of like, oh, I'll just go until it feels uncomfortable. But a lot of times, that's after you spend all the money on marketing. You're like. Why is Amazon getting rich? It's like, because we're all giving them all of our money. And to be honest with you, that's one of the things, uh, cost per click um, inflation is caused in part by people not knowing how to do good bidding and, and proper right. profitable bidding. That's one factor. The other factor, in my opinion, is big brands are coming in and they throw, them out, uh, throw around money without really much consideration for how their ROI is. They, you know, they're like, hey, we've got uh, two million to spend on Amazon, uh, and we have to spend it this year. And so they just start putting money in. They they don't really care about the independent ROI. Do you think that's a factor coming up for us? Um, I do see. Uh, I do see some big brands coming in to sponsor us, but I still think that uh, AMG is very good at grabbing all the money from big brands. So big brands are still believing in whatever AMG, Amazon Media Group offering is. Uh, and that's good because that's a lot of money out of the plate. But yeah, we've uh, now, you know, they unified the Amazon platform and it created such a huge disaster in all the Amazon thing and search results. I mean, we are still running backlogs of fixing stuff. Um, with the unification of the Amazon platform, I see of a trend that you indicated, I see getting bigger and bigger. So big brands having access for, through AMG or through what used to be only vendor and only AMS and headline, they're gonna have access to the same tool that we have now. 
So it's a flip of a coin. It's going to be good for us because we might get access to both tools, but at the same time, sort of a big brand with crazy high budget, with you know people like spending left and right, we will access to our small player tools. Um, so it, it's definitely going to get harder. And I see Amazon being very happy about it. Um, what we've seen, I think everybody noticed, uh, the organic search is moving lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And that was what Google has done some years ago. And that was what Amazon is going to do eventually. I totally agree. I, I've been talking about this, this general um, concept of learning from history for some number of years that you know, although Google still has organic on the page, it's it's placement and it's it's considerable push down. And you know, it's like where is it? That's that same thing will happen on Amazon. And Amazon even has more incentive to reduce organic altogether because as long as they feel like the results they're getting from sponsored and from you know the headline search and from all these other placements, as long as they feel like that's highly relevant to the customer. They have no reason Correct. to show any organic uh, in the long run. So don't be surprised, everybody, if, if Amazon continues to monetize their page in the same way that retail stores require you to pay for placement. You, you cannot go into a Walgreens and get that end cap as a brand unless you pay them money for that end cap. And that's no different than Amazon. And I think that's a very good – your crystal ball is uh, working very well uh, – to tell the future yeah. there, Stefano. That's a good one. Any other uh, any other predictions for the, the next five years that you see coming? Um, ah, five years, hard to tell. Um, I, to be honest, I wish I could look that far ahead, but I got nothing. <laughs> You've got nothing. Okay. Well, I think we've already we've already given up probably the biggest uh, thing that's going to happen. Well, two things actually. One, two brands are coming, and they're going to drive up the costs, which is going to drive down our ROI if we're not careful about it, if we're not very judicious about optimization, and if we're not taking care to optimize our spend. Right? Don't spend money forever at a loss. That's free advice. So take it or leave it. But. You know, it, you may say I'm going to do this at a, at a loss or at a break even for launch or uh, a loss at a break even for some special promotional period. But long term, that is not a sustainable business. You have to be able to pour money in the top of the funnel and get profit out the bottom. That's what a sustainable business is. So we, we've given up that, you know, costs are going up. So be careful about optimization. And number two, big brands are coming. That Those are pretty good uh, uh, insights. Uh, Stefano, as we run out of time here, I wonder if you have any final words of wisdom for the awesomers out there listening. Um, looking at, uh, let's stay to um, sponsored product or general advertising. I would say an advice would be uh, don't really focus only on your ACOS result, driving ACOS. Amazon is an interesting platform because we don't really know the way it works. And, you know, the way you beat them ads the way your ads perform might or might not be related on the way amazon decide to position you in the search results so my advice is don't just look at your spend and ppc as a, as a cross container but try to understand what is cost per acquisition which is something that you mentioned and don't look at the cost per acquisition purely for sponsor product but look at the cost per acquisition on your total volume and that way you will understand if spending more on ppc perhaps having a higher ACOS, 
will equal to a lower overall cost per acquisition, meaning that there are some cases in which spending more on PPC might lead to a better ranking. So your money is done, your cost per acquisition goes down because you rank better and your profit is done on your ranking. So uh, that will be my advice. So don't look just at sponsor product, look at the whole picture, look how much money you're putting into the business and look how much money you're putting out and track it, find trends and see if you find opportunity to spend more while driving down the cost per acquisition. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. There are many cases where, uh, particularly <coughs> on leading on on head terms, as they're called in search, on the big terms where you may have to spend more money and that those may be empirically unprofitable, but they, it drives other things to happen, uh, either greater awareness or greater sales pull through, which leads to higher conversion, maybe better organic ranking, and therefore right. some sales that have, have, uh, are unattributed to the spend itself, but are indirectly responsible. So there's an old saying in statistics, you know, causation or uh, correlation does not imply causation or vice versa, whatever it is. And so we have to be careful to, to look for that linkage, not just assume the more we spend and sales go up that we're happy. Make sure that you're, you're uh, diving into it and really understand your numbers. And you do that with using software and, and automation tools like uh, Stefano's built to, to get a really solid handle on it and understand it. So Stefano, thank you for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you very much, Steve. Very long time I've seen you, and it's always very good to have a chat. Yeah, so my pleasure. Uh, no doubt we'll probably have you back again sometime. We'll dive deeper into Zon Tools uh, as you continue to roll out. Uh, awesomers, listen out there wherever you are. We'll be right back after this. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. I've been lucky to be able to hang out with Stefano, as we talked about in the episode, down in St. Lucia at a mastermind event. He's come to Seattle a bunch of times to the Catalyst 88 Mastermind Group, uh, which is a 25K you know, high-end group that uh, gets a lot of my time. That's, that's where I spend, I would say, the majority of my efforts trying to help those entrepreneurs. Because I just, as you know, I love entrepreneurs. I'm, I'm completely into it when... When Stefano and people like Stefano and people like you listening, when you are able to kind of transcend and jump to that next level, when you level up, it makes me happy. And uh, you know, part of my dream in life is to be able to uh, hang out with entrepreneurs, travel with entrepreneurs at kind of any time we want to. So it'd be great to just post, you know, in, in a Facebook group or send on an email and go, hey, uh, you know, next week I'm going to Tahiti. Who's in? and then have people show up at Tahiti. And that's a that's part of my dream. And I'll tell you a, a quick story. We did this uh, year, maybe two years ago now, where I just said, hey, I'm going down. Uh, I, I had a great idea from a, a dear friend, Brigitta. And she said, uh, you know, I, I said I wanted to go somewhere. She's like, hey, let's just go down to Roatan and meet some of our friends, Sean and Kelly and Marcos. And so we all started meeting down there and we ended up having, you know, 10 or 12 of us down there. And it was a delightful, very, very fun event. So many great people there, Laura and Jim and 
Alan and Brian and so many others, that really was living the dream. And I want you listening to be able to live the dream as well. We were in paradise in the most perfect beaches, the most perfect weather with the most perfect company. That's the dream. And I want everybody to get their share of the dream really soon. So don't forget, this has been episode number 70 in the awesomers.com podcast series. And all you have to do is go to awesomers.com slash 70 to get all the little show notes and details that you need to find. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at Awesomers.com. Thank you again. Awesomers.com.